Uh, Let me open up in prayer and we will get started. Father, we are here to hear your word and submit to you. We pray that you would send your spirit to live out the covenant that you have made with us. We rejoice with you through Jesus Christ. Amen. so as we, I guess the first thing to note as we get started this morning, it was, if you see in the bulletins, we're doing the Foundation of Marriage series. I've created a little subsection in the child rearing called Family Basics, which I tacked on last week about uh, creating an atmosphere in your home, and today is dinner, but this is not, uh, this is just a teaching. I didn't, I'm not teaching by example. There's no, I didn't bring any food to share. So I'm sorry. Uh, you'll just have to wait about 40 minutes and get in the fellowship hall. And so um, what I want to uh, talk about in this, in this family series is that there are certain things that are basic to every family that if you don't think about them or you don't implement them, it makes everything else harder. And so when, it, when we talk about raising children, and we'll get into... Uh, or, or just to mention what we talked about last week, it's very hard to create a joyous uh, a family atmosphere where there's, where there's joy, where there's mutual respect, where there's mutual submission, where you enjoy each other and fellowship with each other if you don't share meals together. You could possibly do it in another way, and you will do it in, in various other forms, but without having family dinners or family meals as a basis, it makes it very hard to create a, 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 a atmosphere of communion and, and fellowship with one another in your family. And that's also, I think, true, as we'll see in our, in our church and in, and in other areas of covenantal life. And so we'll talk in, in subsequent weeks. Next week, we'll talk about family worship and then instruction and then discipline. And we'll have a week on all of those. But if you don't do family dinners, if you're not having a regular time of communion, of, of fellowship, every one of those gets a lot harder. And you're, you're, fighting, you're fighting an uphill battle without that. <clears throat> and so we're going to talk about uh, the way this is going to kind of flow is we're going to talk about the importance of food, uh, just a natural law look at, at, covenant, at meals together. We're going to look at God's uh, design for meals and, and covenantal meals in particular, and communion as a type of a prototype meal or a type of meal that all other meals go into. And so it really would be hard to uh, to anything you're teaching in your family or, or when you're raising your kids without having a regular time of fellowship, of communion, of just sharing and connecting with one another. It gets very hard. And so the way God has kind of instilled it in, is we need food to survive, right? Uh, we need it just for basic survival. Food gives us energy. Uh, and, and God has created the world and created this order and reality in such a way that we come back to food to eat meals two to three times a day. Some of us more. <laughs> and, <laughs> right? And... And so he's ordered reality that we have to continually come back to eat, right? And that sets us apart from every other creature. Uh, that sets us apart from every other uh, living, living being. And so we do need food to eat to survive. We do need food for nutrition. But most animals eat a very simple diet of one to, you know, up to five distinct things. 
you know, carnivores, they eat meat of, you know, of, of the, they just eat meat, right? Uh, ask me about, I had a good joke, but I can't say it from the pulpit. Ask me about a, it's a, it's a herbivore joke, but I can tell you it in the fellowship hall. And, um, but even most herbivores eat a plant-based diet that is very simple, a few different plants. God didn't create humans that way. We have to have a very diverse uh, diet of plants, meats, various things to get all the nutrition uh, we need. It, it kind of flies in the face of evolutionary thinking because if we evolved, then we certainly evolved to be less practical and make it a lot harder on ourselves uh, instead of eating you know, a very simple diet. And we could survive on a simple diet, it's, but it's... It's something that we know, you know, instinctly. God said it in our hearts that we eat uh, a very complex diet. If you ate the same thing every day, you know that it, it, there's just something in you that's like, this, this isn't supposed to be. I need some diversity. I need something new. I want something better. I want it to taste good, right? Animals don't go after food, as far as we could tell, is because it tastes good. I like this food. I like eating this food over this food because of the taste. It's more of a, a survival instinct, and, and, and it helps with uh, the natural order of things in various ways. But we eat food because we like it. We find a lot of comfort in food, right? Uh, some of my... If I could get really stressed out, and or you can tell when I'm really stressed out, if you see me in my car eating Wendy's by myself, I was like, this is... I feel really good. Like, I don't... The whole world kind of stops for me. It's like, I don't have to worry about anything else. I've got my french fries. I've got my greasy burger. And there's no people. And because and there really is, we use food to comfort ourselves. And that's the way God designed it. It's not innately good or bad. It's just a, a fact that, that God puts in there. We could uh, use food to comfort ourselves in, in a bad way, like eating by yourself in a car, not around people. <laughs> Um, or you could use food as, as comfort to fellowship with one another, and in times of grieving and loss, you use food to actually create a, a deeper connection with other people. And so we also handle food like art. Right? Uh, when we make food, it is more like an artwork than it is like we just, we're not just making this because we need certain number of macronutrients and various vitamins to get into our diet. I don't actually think about that when I cook food. I think about what tastes good. What, how do I blend these different flavors together? And my wife is amazing at that, and uh, it's awesome to see somebody in their elements, especially in the area of creating food, because they put things together that you would have never thought of, and it it's creates this, this artwork for you. And we even present it like artwork in cases, right? We want the plate to look nice. We don't just, sometimes we do, but uh, we don't always, but, but we take food and we put it and we plate it correctly and we want it to look nice and it has to have, in some contexts, a good presentation. We pay extra for people to put the food on our plate nice at nicer restaurants. And because we like it, right? Because we handle it much more like an artwork, right? Uh, and that sets us apart from every other creature. We fellowship over food all the time, multiple times a day usually, or at least once to multiple times a day. Other creatures don't fellowship over food. 
as far as we can tell. There's no, they, there's animals that, that hunt in, in packs and, and eat and gather in various ways, but they're not fellowshipping. They're not, they're not communing with one another. They're surviving together. And so we kind of know this innately that there's something special, there's something really important about food outside of survival, outside of we just need to do it to get to the, to the next thing. And we kind of innately know that there's a covenantal aspect in that. And so we usually eat after weddings. There's, uh, you know, when you, have, when you go to a wedding, you plan a meal afterwards. You plan a time of where people can have joy and fellowship and rejoice and eat. And it would really kill the mood if the food was like peanut butter and jelly. You don't have peanut butter and jelly after your wedding. Right? It's, um, you could, you know, and, and you usually spend extra money to make it really nice. Uh, not just because it's a nice occasion, but because there's something very special and the meal has to be special. Like I said before, after funerals, there is usually a meal to fellowship, you know, around friends and family and grieve the loss of a loved one. And recently at my uncle's uh, funeral afterwards, I learned more about him and his life at the meal afterwards and at the funeral service than I did uh, in 30-some years of knowing him. And, and I got to uh, fellowship in deeper ways with my cousin and other family members that we wouldn't have had apart from a meal afterwards. We know this in that meals are, are uh, important. We, you know, your anniversary, uh, write this down if you need to, but men, don't take your wife to Wendy's on your anniversary, <laughs> right? You take her someplace very special, Right? It has to be a special meal for a special occasion. And so, and so we know, we just have this innately, there's this natural law that God's put in our order in creation that there is really something special and something deeper than just eating a meal together. And so, um, and, and so one thing that I just want to note is when we say this, it's, you actually don't need to go and say, well, book, chapter, verse, where is it in the Bible that you have to eat meals together as a family? Well, you're not going to find it. You won't find it. Uh, but you, what we will find, and we're going to look at, it, is that, uh, that covenantal meals are God's design for food. And so, sure, he gave us food to survive. He gave us food for nutrition. He gave us food for other, other, um, other reasons but mainly for covenantal meals together. That's a, a huge part of why God gave us food. And so God isn't, isn't just uh, given us scripture in a list of here's the do's and here's the don'ts and do it. Most of scripture we get is a story. It's a historical narrative because God is a storyteller. And so going back to the first chapter of Genesis, when, when God creates Adam and Eve, and he creates them in covenant with one another and in covenant with himself, he says, be fruitful and multiply, go and fill the earth and have dominion and subdue it. And then he says, here's all this food. Here's every green plant for food and every tree that bears fruit. Go, he's saying, go and eat, right? Here's, I've made this covenant with you. I've created you. You go and have dominion and you're going to change nations and you're going to change cultures, and eat. And we're like, this isn't just a science textbook, uh, 
We don't look at it like a science textbook. Well, oh yeah, God made food so that they could just eat and survive and, and do what... Uh, God isn't just giving us food so that we'll be energized and live longer or live healthier so that we could accomplish what he, uh, what he gave us to do. When we come at it like that, we are saying something about the gospel. We're saying something about the covenant. And so eat and go is God's normal pattern for victory. And he creates a covenant with people. He creates a covenant structure. He uh, usually what we'll see in scripture is there is a meal, there's eating together, there's fellowship together, and then they go. And then there's covenant renewal, and then you eat some more, and then you go. And then you eat, and then you go, and then you eat, and then you go. And so uh, it's after covenant initiations that we usually see in scripture there is a meal. And so another example of this is in the Passover. The next big meal in scripture, uh, big meal, those other smaller meals we'll look at, is the Passover feast, where God was telling a story in this feast and in this covenant meal that for seven days you're not going to eat any bread with leaven, right? Because you're eating it in haste. You remove, they actually would remove all the leaven from the house that in subsequent generations would remind them of what the Lord did in the Exodus, how he moved with mighty works and wonders and in power to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. And how do we celebrate? With seven days of eating. <laughs> seven days of a meal, of meals with, without leaven, without any yeast. And then on the seventh day, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, that could be the eighth day, I forget. It's after seven days. I'd have to get my timeline correct. But after seven days of without leaven, then you eat a big feast. And they ate a big feast in the Passover in haste, they, it says directly in, in Exodus 12 that you eat them in your household. Whoever, if this household's too poor and they can't have a lamb, then you invite them in. And you fellowship together and you eat this meal and you do the covenant symbols and they did it with the blood. And those are so, telling you a story about something, about God's covenant with his people. And then you feast. And then get up on out of here. Because <laughs> uh, judgment, in this case, judgment's coming. So you're going to want to go. Uh, and so it's eat and go. And then we have this covenantal renewal meal every year in, in, in Israel uh, of remembering the Passover. It's a renewal of the covenant. And then you eat it and then you go. And it was so important that you would have to travel to Israel to do that. And so what we're looking at is even in family dinners, is a covenantal meal. It's not just we need to eat so that we can, uh, so that the kids will stop crying, so that we can get their bath and get their homework done and get them to bed so that we can wake up and do all the things we need to do. All those things are true, but in the home, your family dinners, your family meals are a covenantal structure. And so there is, as a, as a simple definition of of covenant is a solemn bond that's initiated or sovereignly administered by God that has attending blessings and curses. And so if you follow the pattern of scripture and lift up family dinners and family meals together to, to fellowship and, and commune together, you will probably see blessings if you do it in, in the right way, and you'll probably see curses if you don't do it and, and or do it in the wrong way. And so, but how God is extending his covenant and what he's doing with his covenant is always eat and go, eat and go. And so 
food is a big part of a of a covenantal uh, a covenantal family, and so <clears throat> in the Passover, when we see this meal, it was in the midst of the tenth plague that was coming on on not just Egypt but anybody. It would have been Israel too, or anybody in Israel who didn't put the blood on their doorpost. And this meal was eaten in the midst of death, in the midst of judgment. It wasn't God's bringing his covenant and he brings it to the fullness and once he's brought it and once the world has been restored, then we'll dine and eat together. You'll get, you'll get your food after you do your chores. Uh, kind of thing. <laughs> after you do what God has called you to do, then he'll eat with us. No, he is dining with us. He's fellowshipping with us. He's communing with us in the midst of death in the midst of judgment, and he's, and it's um, a time of, of joy, refreshing, a time of rest, and then we go. And so there isn't these meals, these covenantal meals that we see in Scripture, which translate to how we do it in our family, isn't we, these aren't meals that we've arrived meal, we've gotten where we need to go meal, it's a, we're going there, let's eat and, and go. And so, that, that becomes important because it translates into your family how you handle covenantal meals. And so one example, uh, or to give another example, is Jacob and Laban. If you remember when uh, Jacob had worked for him for 14 years, it wasn't really like a, a great situation. If you learn anything, it's like don't work for your father-in-law. Uh, maybe that's not the lesson. But, uh, but there was a lot of strife between two competing people and, and Jacob continued to get blessed and grow and and his servants and people grew and his sheep and herds grew and it was causing problem with Laban's people and when Jacob flees with his with his uh, people and his wives and, and Laban pursues after him it's like a little war there's a lot of strife going on and, and they get to a point of making a covenant that says Jacob says I won't come back this is like the, the line, I'm not going to come back cross, and cross this line. And Laban says, I'm not going to cross this line. And then it says that they sat and they ate bread together. They had a covenantal meal. And, and you can only eat together when there is peace. It's very hard to eat when there's a lot of strife. And uh, it's very hard to even sit down and have a meal together. And so sometimes... Peace brings an occasion for a meal, in this case, and sometimes the meal brings an occasion for peace. And so if you do that regularly in your family, then uh, sometimes it's been a very good day, and you're going to have a peaceful meal because it was a good day. And sometimes you had a bad day, and the meal will bring an occasion to bring peace. And so... Another covenantal meal after the Exodus, uh, that was in Exodus 12, or the Passover, is in Exodus 24, where we see that God gave the commandments to Israel, gave them the law, gave them the statutes, um, and he raises up Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, plus 70 elders after they make a covenant with all Israel and invites them, the 70 elders, Nadab, Abihu, Aaron, and Moses, up to the mountain and it says that they see the glory of the Lord and that the Lord had prepared a meal and they ate together. And so there's another covenantal meal aspect here. And, and they hadn't arrived yet. They definitely hadn't arrived. They weren't going to stay on the mountain. Uh, they were eating and then soon after they were going to leave the mountain. 
they weren't going to stay there. And so what God is saying is in his covenant in these meals, this is how we win. This is how we get victory. This is how the Christians take over the world with your family dinners. Um, this is how when, when the people of God come and commune together, when there's love and joy and there's fellowship and you share meals together, it goes out, right? We go out. It's a time of rest. It's a time of peace. It's a time of communing together. And God calls us to that regularly with joy to then go out, right? We have um, uh, meals together. Now, it, depending on how your family is structured, it doesn't have to be a dinner. It usually is just the way our, our lives work together. If you work a, a normal kind of nine-to-five schedule, most families will have dinners together. But if you work second shift, uh, you could certainly have breakfast together. It doesn't eliminate that. And so... But God's saying, this is how we win. And if you don't institute these in your family and you don't do it right, it's going to be very hard to win in your family. And so other examples of just food and, and meals in Scripture that I want to call to attention is, is we just had this in our family devotions. Uh, Elijah, after he had fled um, Jezebel, and he goes back out into the wilderness and he falls asleep and an angel of the Lord like wakes him up and he says, hey, eat this. Then he goes back to sleep. <laughs> then he's like, the angel of the Lord like, wakes him up again, like taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, hey, eat something. And he eats something. And he goes back to sleep again. And really, is sometimes you just need to eat and take a nap, and it'll be okay. <laughs> you could, and Elijah wasn't, hadn't yet arrived you know, at where the Lord had wanted him to be, or definitely not where the nation of Israel wanted him to be. It was in the midst of conflict. And it says, eat, you know, take some rest, eat. And... We have in, in Exodus 14, um, where Abraham goes back and uh, rescues his, his nephew Lot from the five kings. And what does Melchizedek bring out? It's bread and wine. And it could have been just bread and wine, or those could have been representative of a, of a larger feast. Some think that. But there is another, there's a meal together that Melchizedek brings out brings to Abraham and, and, his, and his people and his clan uh, food and wine, right? When Isaac is getting ready to bless Esau, and he asks for a meal, and we know that Jacob steals that blessing, but he asks him to prepare a meal because he's about to pass on a covenant blessing, and it wouldn't be appropriate without a meal, without fellowship together. And so, uh, finally, in, in just some biblical examples, we see in, in Jesus talking about the wedding feast, uh, the, the kingdom of God being like a wedding feast. And so the kingdom of God really is like a wedding feast. It's, and wedding feasts aren't usually filled with sorrow or drudgery or, or any negative feelings. These are times of, of joy. And so let's look at Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. <clears throat> The Lord says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. 
for the Lord has spoken. And even in, in Scripture, if you look at the end of Revelation, what's for the healing of the nations? The 12 fruits of, that are produced in the tree and the leaves. And so that is a food metaphor. That's a symbol of, of God's covenant that as, he, as we go out, and especially here in, in Isaiah, he's saying that when he's going to bring in all these people, it's going to be through feasting. It's not going to be through stringent hard work. There's going to be hard work. It's not going to be um, um, through just giving it our best shot. It's going to be through feasting. It's going to be a time of joy, like a wedding feast. And so God designed it so that you have to regularly come back to food, meaning in your family covenant, in your family context, you have to gather around meals. It's just inevitable. How you do it is, is not inevitable, but, uh, but God has ordered it so much that you have to get your life ordered around food. Right? Yeah. And so... Eating meals together as a family causes us a, a time of pause or, or a time of, of rest. Now, getting to that meal isn't always like, like cooking it, getting it ready, working, getting the food, going to the grocery store, uh, getting it ready, getting the, the table cleared off, getting the table set, getting the kids to, to get there isn't a time of pause or rest, hardly ever. But when you get to the table, it usually is. And so how we, how we eat together says something about the, the covenant. And that's one of the uh, main reasons why we have, have meals after church in some form every Sunday. It's because we are saying something about the covenant. It is practical because it's a, it's a time of fellowshipping together. It's a time of you know, going deeper and, and communing. And it's a, it's a time where if there's new people to invite them and just enjoy and get to know them, that's all true. We do have meals for those reasons, but mainly we have meals because it says something about the covenant. It says something about what God has done for us, about the, the promises of Scripture that we will feast together and we will do it with joy and we'll do it together. And what we do after Sunday in the fellowship hall is just as important as what we do here from the pulpit a lot of times. And so that's an encouragement that, you know, don't brush off the, the Sunday meals. Uh, take them as, as, as serious as the Lord has it. Um, and so how we eat is saying something about the covenant. And so Acts 2.46, let me turn there, talks about the early church, the first century church, just uh, within a year after Christ's resurrection. <clears throat> It says that, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so, how you eat together says a lot more about that you, more than that you eat together, right? Uh, it says they did it with glad and, and generous hearts. And that wasn't, it wasn't a glad and generous time because the city was doing so well and, and uh, the outer culture, everything was just prospering. What you see is the whole world, the Jerusalem, was burning down. Christ had just been persecuted, just been um, uh, killed. 
you know, uh, very recently, the Jews are on their tailcoats trying to persecute them. The Romans are destroying their city. They are taking their property, right? And even Christ prophesied this and warned them about this in Matthew 24, that there was a coming persecution that was going to be worse than any other time in history, before or after. And so this wasn't a time of God brought about uh, this joy and gladness because the, the times of the culture was so great. It was much like the Exodus where there's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of persecution there and coming, but yet they ate their meals with joy and gladness. And so um, Proverbs talks about it's a dinner of herbs with love is better than a fattened ox with hatred. And so uh, it's one thing to get to the meal together and have a stringent attitude of we're going to sit down and eat a meal together and you're going to be quiet, kids, and, and you're just going to get there. That's different, right? Then you can get to uh, the dinner and, and have a very well-prepared dinner with very little love, or you can have a burnt dinner with a lot of love, right? And so how you do it, how you do it matters. And so uh, that, the family dinners gives us a regular time, that fellow, a fellowship together that goes deeper. It's an opportunity to serve, to do work with each other, uh, to be part of a family. Um, it's a time just in, in practicality that the Lord ordains where uh, you get an opportunity. Someone has to make the meal. Someone has to prepare. You really do have to do a lot of things to get to the table. And it's a time, a very practical time, that you can work together. You can teach your children and instruct them in various things and in mutual service and submission to one another as you get the meal ready. And you can do that with gladness, right? Um, it's kind of the attitude of what we're trying to do in family dinners is get to the same place together. Um, uh, and, and, and we're going there together. We're trying to get to the same place together and we're going there together. And so we, in a family, we eat and we go. We eat and we go. And, and I think what God's saying is this is how we win. And so dinners should normally not be done in haste, right? They should be a focused and intentional time in your family. Now, this doesn't happen. You just practically aren't going to be able to do the seven out of seven nights a week, but it should be regular. It should, you shouldn't always have to be eating dinner over the kitchen sink and to get the kids to soccer practice or swim practice or get them to whatever they're doing. Uh, there should be, it should be a time of intentionality, of focused intentionality. Uh, God ordains this time like clockwork so that we could fellowship and commune with one another. It gives you an opportunity to all sit down together and say, what happened today? Tell me how your day went, right? What did you do about that after your kids tell you something? How did that make you feel? What should you have done about that, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> What does God's word tell us about what, just, what, you, what you did, right? It gives us a focused time of, of communion, of deeper fellowship in our families that, that you can explore those things. It gives uh, your kids, if you have multiple kids, uh, it's, a, it's a practical time where they get to learn patience and respect as they wait and listen to their siblings, 
right? There's not uh, uh, just a, it's not just a free-for-all and get the food in their mouth and say whatever you want and, and then we leave. It's, it's a very practical time where uh, the children and, and adults can learn how to have patience and respect for one another. They learn, uh, uh, family dinners are a great time to teach you, your kids how to do hard things Amen. and eat their vegetables. <laughs> I'm still learning that one. <laughs> I don't normally think when, when I'm preparing the dinner of making vegetables. And my wife always asks, what are you doing for a vegetable? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> French, fries don't, uh, French fries don't count, apparently. I thought it was a vegetable. And so... Right at the di- at the dinner table, is there lots of joy and laughter? There should be. This is a regular time that you should come together as a family to laugh, to lighten up, to have some joy. Right there, and I think um, just as a side note, I think that the the uh, father could kind of set this attitude of, you know, that it's a it's a time of joy. Do you put your phones down? Are you listening to one another, or are you more concerned about? about other things. We kind of have a, a strict rule that when we, when we sit down, we all sit down together, we pray, and nobody's allowed to have a phone at the table. Um, and that's just how we, we order things because we want to make sure it's a focused time of intentionality, right? But is it a time of joy? Is there laughter going on? <clears throat> right, because how you eat your dinner will tell you a lot about the kind of covenant that you have together in a family. And what I just want to set in, in deep that is from the scriptures is this is how we win. This is how Christ calls us to win our family, to win our culture. And the way the family goes is the way the church goes. And the way the church goes is the way our culture goes. And this is how God ordained us uh, and gave us instruction to win. We eat and we go. And so dinners will, will generally make family worship easier together. And we'll talk about that, that next week. But you're already together, it leads into family worship. And so as we come to the table today, I want to look at Psalm 23, that the Lord gives us a great expectation for God's plan in the earth. The last two verses of Psalm 23 say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't I wiped out all your enemies and now we can have a feast. All the enemies, you don't have to worry about them anymore. Now there's a feast. It's in the midst of the enemies. It's not time to fight. There are enemies around there. It's not time to fight. It's time, it's time to feast. But he's saying this is how we win. This is how I'm going to cause victory. You're going to be surrounded by enemies. You know, earlier he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. death. There's a lot of bad things going on. There's enemies surrounding you. But what he does, what God does, is prepare a table, a time of feasting. And he says, um, the psalmist says, David, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so God is regularly calling us to commune around food. It's very important. And he draws us to the table as a prototype of all the other meals that we share together. That he comes and makes a covenant with us. He hasn't, uh, in, in what we see, we just see it in our lives. He hasn't totally defeated sin in my life. 
Not yet. I think I've got a little bit to go. And I think it's true for everybody else. And he hasn't totally, we haven't totally seen Christ as subject over every area in the world yet. He is Lord. He does reign on high. We are in the presence of our enemies. There is sin, there is death, and there is a dying culture. But what he says is, come and eat. Come and feast with him. He is really present in some way. And then we go and we feast together in the fellowship hall. And and we go and we worship the Lord and we work our jobs. And then we come back to feast. And then we eat in the fellowship hall and feast some more. And then we go and we live our lives and we commune together throughout the week. And we go back to work and then we come back to feast. He has ordained this as a regular time for us to partake of him, partake of Christ, to feast together a time of rest and a time, time of joy and, and rejoicing. So uh, uh, come to the table and let's dine with Christ.